I'm notorious for coming up too early, so that was good, Chad. Um, welcome. Happy New Year. New year, new focus, do you feel it? New temptations, that's why the cupcakes are out there for you. I, we wanted to make sure you were sticking to your commitments. Um, uh, last night we had a great party here. Uh, you weren't there, were you? We partied like crazy in the basement. We were, uh, the Morrison's youngest daughter got married. I'm, I'm mentioning this because I was a part of every one of their weddings, and uh, this was kind of the final. Whew. And I wanted to make an announcement that Paul and Lori are now available socially, so if you want to hang out, they're there. It was such a blessing uh, to see uh, that happen. It was one of our first, like, uh, like, you know, in-house weddings that we've had here, and so it was a great time, and um, I, I just appreciated every bit of it. I love seeing what God does and builds in couples to get to that point to where they're ready to start their life together, so, um, and I love weddings, by the way. They're, they're, they're really, really great and fun, and, and I love seeing what God does. I have to start out this way. We're, we're back into the series of Acts. You thought we were done? Oh, no. I, need, I needed to give you some time to digest what you've already learned. We have three more weeks, including today. Uh, these are some of my favorites. And today, in particular, we get to see something spectacular. Um, I can only start off this way because it, maybe it will frame the way that we see Paul. A few years ago, I made the horrible, terrible decision that disappointed everyone around me, and I have not heard the end of it since. I switched from an iPhone to an Android phone. This was bad. <laughs> this, this was tough, yeah. I hope I'm allowed to still be your pastor. It, 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 I had never experienced anything like this. I was one of the original iPhone owners and it had been since they first started rolling them out. And so I, I just decided one day, I thought to myself, you know, I don't know if Apple's, Apple guards my privacy, so I'll go to an Android. That was a huge mistake. I, there's no privacy. And so I, I, I just started hearing from everyone almost like I had died. Do you know what I'm talking about? They'd be like, oh, why did you do that? Oh, oh, we can't put you in a group text anymore. And I'm like, oh, the group text, no. And oh, I can't send you a video because you have a, and every time I pull out my phone, people are like, what's that? And I'd be like, oh, it's a Google phone. They're like, oh. <laughs> but when you talk to an iPhone and I, owner, and, and I had experienced it, although I was a big fan, but it was almost like I was constantly being evangelized to get rid of my phone, put away those sinful ways of the Android, and take up the iPhone. And almost regularly, Chad just reminded me the other day, looked upon me with shame, told me to change my life, and said, why don't you just get in with us because we're the good ones. And it, it's interesting because that 
mentality of the Apple or the iPhone, it's amazing when you hear people try to evangelize another person with it. Now, you may remember, if you are younger, you might not remember, but I'll bring you into some advertising history. Do you remember this ad? Do I put this uh, up on the screen. Do you remember this? Okay. This was an unbelievably effective ad. What this ad was, was the guy who's in the suit is a PC owner. The cool guy with the hands in the pocket everybody wants to be is the Apple owner. It was brilliant. Because I looked at that and I thought, well, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. And they brought in this idea that being an Apple owner made you a part of something. It made you some, a part of culture. It was a cultural thing. And if you want to be dorky and nerdy, then, you know, get a PC. It was a strange way to evangelize. But it was inviting something into something that, uh, people into something that made them feel like they were a part of something. The most offensive part, and this is where I felt like as an Android owner, when they started running these types of ads, put this next slide up, is when the, <laughs> the, the, the PC guy tried to be cool and fit in, and it just was not working well, and he was outdated in his uh, Zeke Havarici pants and his Miami Vice look, and he was trying so hard to be a part. And I, that to me is what I feel like everyone treats me like, like, oh, nice try with your phone, but talk to us when you get an iPhone. Apple actually has a department called the evangelist department. Did you know that? Called the evangelist department to evangelize Apple. Why is it that even our, we ourselves will evangelize so strongly for a phone? But when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to sharing the most important thing, the most important intellectual property anyone could ever possess, we quiet down. We hold back. We silence ourselves. But we can evangelize all kinds of other things, but why are we not as passionate to evangelize the greatest thing that has ever happened in your life. I know you didn't come to Sunday morning to be challenged like this, or maybe you did, but we can't start the year off without looking through these, this lens of passion. I titled this message Passion because this is what we hear from Paul. This is what we see his entire journey. This is how we will see him finish with passion. The whole mindset of this message I want you to experience is to challenge yourself to develop your own formidable faith like Paul. His faith was strong. His faith was inspiring. He had no problem walking in the passion of his faith. So let's pray and we'll get started. God, we love you. We thank you. God, I thank you that as we come into this new year, God, you give us a new perspective, a new vision. Some of us are even just making the commitment to be here because of it's a new year. God, I ask that we don't walk out the same as what we walked in. That we have all these other things, God, I know that we want to be passionate about, but let's not leave without the main thing that we're supposed to be passionate about as a believer, which should be our 
driving force in life, and that is to share the gospel, to live passionately, and to inspire others to do that, God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We learned so much. And if you, if you haven't been a part of Acts, you could go back and listen uh, to uh, 38 messages, and then you'll get the idea of that Paul, really, he taught us a lot about passion all throughout the book of Acts starting in chapter 9. In story after story, we see the resilience of this person. I don't think it's because he was special. I think he believed something special. And that's what made him special. You know, passion, if you look up the definition of passion, it has a lot of descriptors of it. There's a lot of definitions around it, but these are the ones that I saw stood out to me when you, when you start to explore the word. A strong desire a devotion to something, something that you value that has great worth that drives your passion. I like this one, barely controllable emotion. We need a little bit of that in church, don't you think? Barely controllable emotion because they're so passionate about it and the willingness to take risk. That's what passion does. We know, we felt passion, we experienced passion but we need to continue to foster that passion in our relationship with God, but also the passion to participate in what the kingdom is doing. I believe this. Passion's greatest enemy is apathy. And apathy's greatest enemy is passion. When we become apathetic about things, when we get the meh mentality, when things just don't matter as much anymore... When things just kind of become bland, that is when apathy is setting in. And apathy right now, if you look right now, there is major work being done on trying to uncover and deal with apathy in our culture. We know it. We have felt it. And maybe we have it within us a little bit in areas of our life. I'm not going to lie. Over the last two years... There's been so much outrage everywhere that I eventually just said, eh, meh, I can't care about it anymore. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't care. But that to me, I'm challenging myself, Ryan, like you still must care. You cannot just be meh. And I think that if you look at it, I read a couple articles I thought were fascinating. One of them called apathy a disease within our culture. In apathy, we, we talk a lot about depression, we talk a lot about anxiety and isolation, but at the very base root, the ground level of it all is apathy. It manifests in these other ways where we just stop caring. One of them, uh, of these articles I really liked said that apathy kills. It's a killer for us socially. It's a killer for our passion. It's a killer for purpose. Apathy takes no accountability. It doesn't stand on anything. It finds itself neutral in all things and just looks inward. But taking accountability is taking accountability for things that sometimes aren't your responsibility. We have to look to the other because if no one does anything, nothing will happen. There's this phrase in Texas, I just loved it. They'd always say, well, how do you starve a dog? You put two people in charge of feeding it. Well, he's going to feed it. Well, he's going to feed it. Well, someone's going to do it, and then the dog dies. Like, we can't give ourselves over to an apathetic mindset. 
I think this, uh, and I really love this statement, I agree with it. Helen Keller said something so profound about apathy. She said, science may have found a cure for most evils, for sure, but it has found no remedy for the worst of them all, the apathy of human beings. I think that's a profound statement. I think Christianity sometimes, we, it needs a shot of adrenaline. Our faith our focus, our passion needs a shot of adrenaline. Paul gives us this regular shot of adrenaline all throughout Acts. And I think a question we have to ask is, am I in danger of it in my faith? Have I just taken a back seat? Have I just relaxed? God will work everything else out. Why does he really need me to get involved in this? And I think another thing that we're going to see is, how did Paul not fall prey to apathy? I, I know we wake up and we think, oh my gosh, my life is so stressful. It's so hard. If you have gone through this journey with Paul, there was a person who could be apathetic towards people. And it's Paul. He gets beat. He gets stoned, rocks thrown on his head. And he goes right back into the city and says, okay, maybe you didn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> right? This is a guy who could write everyone off. He could categorize people. He could stereotype people and say they, them, everything. He does not do it. He stays focused. Paul's mindset of passion, and this is a great piece of scripture, and he writes this before he goes to prison. And I'll read one when he's in prison. Let me read this one. It's to a people who are struggling like our culture in Corinth. If you remember that, that city, they're pulled in all kinds of different directions. They have pressure from everywhere. And this is what he writes about keeping a mindset of passion. 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Oh, man. Just the statement alone. As believers, we don't lose heart. We have something bigger to hope for. It says, though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That for this momentary light affliction, <laughs> I don't know if Paul's trying to minimize what they're feeling, but I think he's categorizing it for sure, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Verse 18, it says, And we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, meaning they come and they go. But the things that are unseen, they're eternal. Paul gives us the perspective to not lose hope, that we're looking eternally. Listen, believers, this is what we have. You have eternal hope. You have something beyond what's right happening right now. You have something greater. Paul is saying, don't lose hope. Look at the things that are unseen, not at the things that are seen. They come and go. So let me bring you up to speed of where, where, where we're at in the series, and we'll jump into it real quick. Uh, Paul's been in prison for two years. He's being extorted constantly by the governor who's holding him prisoner. His name is Festus. He is notorious, sorry, Felix. He is notorious for being corrupt. He actually has been extorting Paul to try to give Paul him money so he could release Paul. And he's constantly bringing him out, trying to extort Paul. He's known in the Roman world for being corrupt. Not that we've ever seen a corrupt politician, but he, he is corrupt. 
So Rome removes him because there's so many problems. They bring in a guy named Festus who follows the letter of the law. He's actually historically beyond the Bible known for being a very good ruler because he wanted to help restore law and order. And so he is replaced, but he sees Paul, this guy, rotting in jail. And he says, like, what's going on with this case? This guy shouldn't be here. And then he retries the case. And then he realizes there's nothing here. And he's trying to be convinced. The the Jewish leaders are trying to convince him to say, why don't you bring him to Jerusalem? Because he's in another city, Caesarea. Bring him here and we'll try him here. And Paul knows what's going to happen because they've already tried it. They're going to kill him as soon as he gets anywhere in public. And Paul says, I just appeal to Caesar. Now, as a Roman citizen, which Paul is, this is like appealing to the Supreme Court. Now that phase is done. Your trial is over here in this region. Your next trial will be in front of Caesar. So Paul's case is done here, right? So we have to know that coming into this next section. And the thing is, is that Paul is awaiting to go, but there's a guy named King Agrippa II who's in the lineage of the Herod the Great, Herod the Great tried to stop Christ from coming and butchered many, many children to kill the Messiah. One of his kids kills John the Baptist. One of his other family members kills James, right? Another family member uh, created horrific acts amongst Christians. So Paul being in front of Herod Agrippa is not like this encouraging thing, right? He knows his history. But King Agrippa comes, and he wants to hear this case. And partially because Festus says, listen, I can't send this guy to Caesar without any charges. I don't get your people, because Agrippa is a Jew. I don't get your religion. I need you to help me. Would you help me interpret a case so I can write one up and send it to Caesar, right? No one would want to go before a judge, no prosecutor before a judge with no charges and let that fold out that way. So then if you look at it, you can open your Bibles to chapter 26. This is where we're going to start. But before we read it, you have to hear this verse. And Paul writes this while he's in prison. He writes to the church of Ephesians, or of Ephesus, and he says this in 6, 8. And this gives you the mindset of Paul. So we see his passion right? Now we're going to see the focus of his passion in Ephesians. And this is why what happens, happens. It says in Ephesians 6, 18, he's asking the people there with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert uh, uh, with all perseverance, make a supplication for all the saints, be praying for all the saints. But here's what he asks differently. And as for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. He says, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He didn't ask for anything else. He didn't ask for protection. Pray for protection. This is interesting. He didn't ask for, pray for provision for me. Pray for my release. What did he ask for? One thing. Pray for me that when I speak, I speak boldly, I don't shy back, and I carry out the words that are 
given to me to speak. It's so, that's a prayer I think is important for all of us to pray. Pray for God that you do not, pray to God that you do not shy back when God is giving you the words to speak and speak them boldly. I think we can have the same fortitude. I think we can have that same focus. And I think we can have that same passion. Paul's not a superhuman person. You're just like, you're just like he was or many of the other believers. You should never separate yourself from the potential he is reaching to the potential that God has for you. I think when it comes to opposition, though, opposition is difficult. When someone is giving you a hard time or when culturally it's not popular to share your belief or faith, when someone is pushing back hard, opposition feels like it's total persecution. But I don't believe Paul had that mindset. Paul saw opposition as an opportunity for a desired outcome. So you want to push? Then this is a wonderful opportunity for me to speak boldly, to share boldly. He didn't shy back. And you can't let opposition rob you of the opportunity to speak boldly and to share, to share your faith. When we get into it, you have to realize Paul's not on trial, right? He's just been invited to speak. Agrippa wants to hear him speak. He could have said this, right, about apathy. I I don't want to talk to you guys anymore. I've appealed to Caesar. I'm over this. You people, he could have said that kind of thing. I've had enough, but he decides to witness in a very unique way. What I love about Paul, he is versatile. When Paul is dealing with people in the synagogue, he's arguing theology. When Paul is dealing with the people in, in Athens who know nothing about his theology, he is reasoning with them and using their culture to point to Christ. When Paul is going to speak right here, he's talking to a room full of people that are, not, that are not believers, they are not Jewish, and only one of them is. And he is speaking to this person, but he knows he has an audience that has no idea if he started throwing down great theological terms. So Paul knows who he's talking to here. And I love it because I, I, I think that he's, he's dealing with the most powerful people in the region in this room all the way to the servants in the region and everybody in between. I really respect his discernment. When you read through his great sermons, his discernment comes very clear. And here it, it, it is his closing sermon. It is very powerful to me because he is always paying attention to who's in the room. This is very, I, I struggle with this myself. I know there are people who are here who have been believers longer maybe than I've been alive. And I know there are people here who are just kind of going like, okay, so why did Jesus have to die, right? They're, they're, they're asking these very s- simple but very basic questions of like, I, I don't understand what you're talking about totally. So I always have this tension here where it's like, how do I discern to communicate what needs to be communicated so we all can grow together through the word? So I get his, I get his, 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 the, the rub here, but we are no different than Paul. We are constantly having to be open to discern on who we're engaging and how we're engaging them to share the gospel. I think this is that witnessing what Paul's going to do. It's a practice skill. You got to practice it. Do you remember when you used to be good at something and you stopped doing it and then you're just really rusty? Do you remember? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's really tough. 
Because your mind says, I'm good at this. And then your practice is like, oh, I'm not good at this. And it, it, you, can, you, you walk away either, I'm never going to do this again, or I got to get better at this again. Witnessing is a practice skill. It's something that it, it, it does take work. And Paul has continually tried to hone this skill of sharing the gospel. But I think this is true. Our passion to see the lost found, it will carry us through the uncomfortableness of witnessing to people. Have you ever felt like, oh, I should share my faith with them, but I feel awkward, and now I don't want them to judge me, and this could be weird, and I don't want to, do you know what I'm talking about? In, in that uncomfortable feeling? But your passion to see the lost found, this person to find life, who's in darkness, to light, what you had, it will push you through that. You have to remind yourself of that. Remember this, apathy will tell you this. Well, the, the lost, they're, they're going to find their way. <laughs> it will tell you this. They're going to make it. One day, it will, it will try to tell you this. Apathy will. It will absolve you of responsibility. Apathy will tell you, oh, not me. I'm not the, I'm not the person. You know, I got a lot of other things going on. And apathy will also say, there's got to be somebody else. Somebody else will do the work. Our, our culture will fall apart if we as a society work like that. And, and as far as our faith, it will destroy, I think, the ability to witness if we just say, step back and say, oh, no, no, not me. Apathy wants you to, to, to engage in that. But passion is what drives you. Passion has to drive us. We're going to go through this, um, this speech Paul gives, and we're going to do it pretty quickly there's not a lot of theological stuff for me to kind of unpack here. This is pretty straightforward, but I want to show you a framework that Paul does so brilliantly. And I think if you're in here going, I don't know how to witness. I don't know how to share my faith. Paul gives it to us in such a beautiful way. The first thing Paul does, if you open up to chapter 26, verse 1, he understands his audience. He knows who he's talking to. And I think that it's important that we know this because I've seen Christians a lot, of a lot of times speak to people in words that people do not hear or do not understand, but they think they're doing an effective job. We have to be very, very careful of this. We have to know the context that we're in. We have to relate to the person who we're sharing with. It, it, the most, one of the most important things is who we're connected with, that we have a commonality, that we can speak the same language. Paul is trying his very best to discern this. So verse 1, so Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made this defense. He says, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you because I know, King Agrippa, you at least understand a little bit of my theology. King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. That's the most, besides a little part and a little bit later, where he gets into the background of the prophecies and everything that God has been doing. He's not arguing big theological terms here, or he's not quoting much scripture here. He is just going right to knowing who he's talking to. Now here at Agrippa, he's not really a great guy. He's like in a relationship with his sister. Gross, right? 
He, he, he's been corrupted by Rome. He ends up abandoning Jerusalem to let it be destroyed later for Rome and supporting Rome. He's not necessarily this devout, strong, he's, he's very lukewarm. And so Paul knows who he's talking to. One of the first things he does, is he understands his audience, he understands who he's speaking to, and then he, under, he shares his personal testimony. If you do not know how to witness to somebody, your personal testimony is a major part of your witness. I'll explain why. Let me, let me read what Paul says. And he does his personal testimony in two parts. One, he describes, and we should, who you were. You know what's funny? When I first became a believer, I was a very wild boy. And, and I, I remember when I became a Christian, I just wanted to distance myself from that wild boy. I didn't want anybody to know my past. I didn't want anybody to know where I, what, who I was like. I personally just didn't even want to be connected to that guy anymore. I remember saying words like, oh, that's not me. That, that person's dead, which is true. But, but I just didn't even want to like broach the subject of some of the darkness that was in my heart, in my life. And as I grew older, and I realized that actually I can't disconnect myself from this person because this is who I was. And, and this is what I felt. This is how lost I was. This is how hopeless I was. And I, and I, and I learned to, to really reconnect both of my lives. This was the Ryan who was dead and needed to live. And I began to just embrace that person and bring him into my story and not just connect myself from that story. Because when we do that, it makes it difficult even to relate to people who are in the darkness. And so we have to reconnect with that person. Remember who you were in order to share your testimony. And Paul does it here in the most graphic way. He has never said anything about this in any other thing that we've read. He says this. Now I'm just going to share his testimony. The, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. He says, they have known for a long time that if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest of party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. We would relate a lot more to the Pharisees in our faith today than any other sect in Israel at that time. They were wanting to follow scripture. They were zealous about it. The problem was is they would become overzealous about it and, and, and eject all the attributes of God that a believer should have, which is love, mercy, grace, compassion. And so sometimes it went over the line. It says, and now standing here on trial because of my hope and promise God made by, uh, uh, promise made by God to our fathers. So he's saying, Agrippa, God made this promise to us a long time ago, what I stand here for today. It says, to which our 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel to obtain, and they earnestly worship day and night. For this hope I am accused by the Jews. Agrippa, says, he's talking to one person in this room, but talking to many. Agrippa, you know our nation has been waiting for this moment, and I'm here to tell you it's here. He says, uh, O king, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises from the dead? Why does this freak everybody out? And I have actually a question for you. If somebody ever says to me, even a believer, like it's hard to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And you don't think it's hard that God spoke the world into existence? I mean, honestly, really, 
God says words, things exploded, happened everywhere. God created a universe with words, but you have a hard time with Jesus being raised from the dead. Got it. Okay. So he said, how do you even find this incredible? He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. This is where his testimony gets dark. He says, and he, he goes on to say, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my lot against them. I was so zealous that I was willing to sentence people to death. I punished them often in all the synagogues. And I think this is the most distressing part of his testimony. And this is where he allows us to see the deep, dark part. And probably what he's most ashamed of is that I tried to make them blaspheme. I tried to make them renounce that they were followers of Jesus. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul gave us who he was. We should never be afraid to connect people to who we were, even the darkest parts, because that allows people to see the change on the other side. But then Paul goes into his testimony, what woke him up? And every time we're sharing our testimony, there is the dark part of our life, there's the hopeless part of our life, and then there's a moment when we woke up, and here's what he does in verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority of the commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw... On the way, a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in a Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, kind of a term we don't use. But when you wanted to uh, uh, bring an ox into obedience uh, with a new yoke, right, this yoke on them, you would put these little sticks behind them because a, a, an ox would kick when they got it on, like if you've ever been on a horse when it bucks, when you put a saddle on. And so they put these here so the ox would learn like, oh, if I kick, it's going to hurt. Jesus is saying, Paul, I'm going this way. This movement's happening. Why are you kicking? Stop kicking. And so I think when we even relate our own testimony, it's like, man, some of us are fighting. I know you're fighting, but why are you fighting? God's kingdom is coming. And he said this, who are you, Lord? And, he, and the Lord said, I am Jesus, in whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet. This is the moment of change for Paul. This is the mechanism. This is the igniting moment. And when you're sharing your faith and you're telling people who you were, you surely have to tell them the moment of which ignited your faith, the moment of decision. Paul realized, I was kicking against something I shouldn't be doing anymore. There is something God has for me. I now surrender. And he surrenders to the yoke. But rise. And so he shares his testimony. Right? And then when you share your testimony, what I think Paul does so well here, is he then shares the point of this conversation. Why we're even having this conversation with King Agrippa when we're sitting down with someone sharing our faith. And here's the point of his conversation. For I have appeared to you, Jesus keeps saying, uh, to you, uh, for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things of which you have seen me and those of which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people 
your people and the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So I brought you out, but I'm sending you in. Verse 18 should be a verse we know well. If you've ever wondered your mission, your call, why you witness, what your focus is, verse 18, Paul does it, and it's very slipped right in, but it's the most profound part of his whole sermon. Uh, 18, to open their eyes. This is why I'm having this conversation with you. This is what Paul, this is what we do when we witness, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by me in faith. That is why we witness. Right? Verse 18 is our mission. Verse 18 was his mission. I wrote it out in a way maybe just a little easier to understand. God sends us to others in order to open them to the truth of the gospel. So we're called to open and to turn them from ignorance to the light of the gospel. So to turn. And with the result that they are able to receive forgiveness and eternal salvation and that they'll receive. That's what you're called to do. That's why we witness. And that's what Paul's point of this conversation was with Agrippa. The next part you'll see in when he is sharing his testimony is he shares, he knows his audience, he shares his testimony, he shares the reason they're having this conversation, and ultimately he invites him in and lets him know, hey, Agrippa, salvation is actually here and now. When we share our faith, we must invite people into the fact that salvation is here and now for them. He says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to, heaven's, to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and through all of the regions of Judea, and also the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance, meaning their life would change. Verse 21, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God and so I stand here testifying to both great and small in this room, saying nothing but what the prophets and, the Mo- and Moses said would come. Meaning this, I am just proclaiming what's been said a long time in Agrippa. You know this, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, meaning that there'll be others to rise from the dead. He would proclaim light to both to our people and to the Gentiles. That is how you share your faith, just how he's doing it. He's letting them know this salvation is here for you as well. But what we see here is Paul, like Paul, you have to be ready for the response. Listen to this response. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, are you out of your mind? Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Now, not the response he wanted. (laughs) Not great. We will have people, when we share our faith, will scratch their heads and be like, man, it's just, I don't get it. Like, it's weird to me. I don't get it. Okay, not the response. Listen to what Paul says. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking boldly. And when we speak boldly, it might sound 
to someone that it's a little crazy. For I am, pres- uh, for, for, uh, he goes on to say, um, but I am speaking true and rational words. Oh, I skipped it. But the king knows about these things, and I'm speaking boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. This is unusual. Paul is addressing one person in the audience because he knows that there's something there. I don't know. Do you ever know when you're talking to someone, you can feel that they're, they're getting there? You can feel that their heart is moving somewhere. He's all about speaking to this king. And he says, um, these things have not escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner. And Agrippa would definitely know what's been going on in Jerusalem and around the region for a while. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Oh my gosh, this is the moment. Do you believe what I'm saying? This This is when you witness and you're sharing your faith, you allow someone the moment to respond. Do you believe? Does this resonate with you? I know you believe. Now, this is presumptive of Paul. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like if you were to go in and you were to go look at a car and the salesman says, oh, great. Okay, what color do you want that? And you're like, hey, I just came to look at cars. You know what I mean? Like he's very presumptive. I love his boldness. I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Now, it's good, but it's not great. It's, it's a good response, but it's, but it's not great. And I love what Paul says, and this is what everybody who has someone on their heart that they are witnessing to, the mentality that Paul has, and the phrase he says here, we should take to heart. Although his response wasn't great, he says this, Paul said, whether short or long, I would that God, that not only only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for the chains. I love that. Listen, there are people in our life, as we share our faith, they're not there. They're like Festus, instantly rejecting you. They're like Agrippa, who's like, ah. And there are people who are like, "Uh, yeah, that's me. You came today for me, right? But whether long or short, those people are continually on our mind and on our heart, and we continually pray for the words that Paul said we should pray for, which is boldness and wisdom. I'll close with this. What do you think all those people in that room saw that day? Imagine yourself in that room, seeing someone up here in front of... uh, mm, I guess I could probably say equivalent to like the precedent. And Paul is here speaking so boldly, which people do not do, in front of this whole group of people. And they're seeing this passion from this guy. And I'm sure everyone is there is like, "Uh, this guy's going to die. You know what I mean? Like everyone is probably freaking out. And they're watching this happen. They're saying, man, oh, man. But you know what I love? You know what I love? I think what they see in that room is probably what they haven't seen in a long time is passion. You got to respect it. We, we respect it when we see someone so bold, so passionate. They don't care. They're not bound by the things that sometimes we're bound by, it feels. And we're like, you go. 
You, do you know what I'm talking about? You go. They saw passion. I believe they saw boldness. They saw someone who was unashamed. They saw someone who would share the truth. They saw someone who actually cared and had concern about them. They saw someone who said, you're worth the risk. They were unfazed by judgment. They're seeing someone up there who's unfazed and who had deep convictions. And you know what they ultimately saw? They saw a man who was set free. All these people in that room were bound to something. And they're seeing someone who's set free. There's nothing more attractive than that. There's nothing more drawing to that. And if you want to be light in the world, that's what that is. They were not worried. They, he was not worried about what was going to happen to him. I think people are drawn to that. I think they're inspired by it. I think it, ultimately it's a model of what they deeply desire but don't have the courage to take the steps in, but they need someone to lead. That's what a Christian is. That's what we're called into as a believer. I, I hope we don't let this year just go by and, and, and play into any apathy in our faith. The world is looking for people to stand up. And you know what? It might not always be comfortable. Paul's taking a massive risk, but that's passion. And if there's one thing this world needs more, it's Christians that are passionate, that are willing to prioritize the focus and put passion first. What do I care about? What is my aim? And I don't care what comes my way. I love that. We're inspired by that. We should follow them up the hill. We, people are desiring to be alive. And that's what we offer as believers. You know it because you are alive. People are desiring it deeply. I have three questions on the screen and we'll pray. I want you to think about, one is, who is on your heart to share your faith with? Who is it when you walk away, you're just like, man, I wish I could, I wish, I wish I could share my faith with them. I, I, I wish... I wish their life wasn't this way. I wish I could bring them to church. I, I wish. Who is, the, who is that person that bothers you? You wish the door would open. I want you to think about those people. They're probably very close to you. It's probably what bothers you even more. And I want you to think about Paul's boldness. Right? And I want you to ask a question. Is, are you battling apathy in the Christian call? Have we become meh about sharing our faith? Are you battling that? Because the only way to defeat it is passion. And the center of passion is your focus to share the gospel. It, 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 it will inspire people. And the last thing is I think you should, you should pray, but you should also ask others to pray for you like the Ephesians were asked to pray for Paul. Hey, if I need anything, listen, I, I don't need anything. I need you to pray that when, when, when the moment arises, I have the boldness to share my faith, that I don't shy back. I don't need anything else. I need that. And watch what God does. I think you'll be very, very, very interested in what he does. And I think that, that uh, you will be surprised at what you will receive uh, when we step out boldly and share our faith. Get familiar with your testimony. Be intimately involved with it. You should know it. it. It should inspire you. It should prompt you because you remember how hopeless you were, how dark it was, how alone and lost you were. It should, it should propel you. 
so you can then go and share that with other people and that you have an answer. It's not like you don't have an answer. You have the answer. We should share it. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for sending Jesus to us. I thank you for examples like Paul and in, 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 in the closing of the chapters in Acts that we maybe get one of the best moments of his passion. What I love, God, is that he didn't need to have this speech, but he wanted to give this speech because that's his passion. And so, God, I ask that each one of us, those three questions today, we go home, we reflect on them. God, just bother us all day about it. Bother us all week about it. We welcome it in our life. Are we apathetic? Who's on our heart? We need to speak boldly so we can share the gospel and live and display freedom to people around us. They, de they desperately want someone to model it for them. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this last song?